Adventures in time and space told in future tense. All radio is dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome! Risen from the coffin, we are the Nosferatu Dudes, and we're back! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! And Brad, what are we talking about on our first episode of 2024? Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, 1980, produced and directed by Sean Cunningham, written by Victor Miller. Friday the 13th, one of the... uh, classic films that began the you know what we would consider i think the new slate of you know top horror you know this this was like the uh uh, sort of with this and halloween and then nightmare on elm street following shortly after this is when we get the the monsters of the 80s and 90s this is when they take over from the old guard of Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, all those classics, right? Well, right. I mean, yeah, 1978, you have Halloween, so you already have Michael Myers. Um, we're talking about the original Friday the 13th, so... Yeah, you don't get Jason people, yet. <laughs> people, these movies are 40 years old. Um, this one does not have Jason Voorhees. Well... It, it does and it does, but it does and it doesn't. Yeah, um, the, this cameo. This at is the, the end of the movie. This is the movie that starts the ball rolling. This is the movie that sets up the the world of Crystal Lake, that then brings us mm-hmm. the iconic hockey masked behemoth that is Jason Voorhees. Correct. But it starts here. You have to start here. <laughs> Even though there was no intention of moving really on initially from this movie for sequels. Um, so there was no intent of an adult Jason uh, at all uh, right. when this movie was being made. So, Right. I mean, yeah, because even Sean Cunningham, uh, it's fairly well known, he did not expect this film to do what it did. No. No, he was hoping, you know, he was... Um, hoping that it would obviously be successful um he again um he was really just trying to copy um halloween uh, right so he was just trying to kind of put something together and we we talked about it in previous episodes how you know really he just kind of had this idea of a singular killer um you know uh targeting teenagers um just kind of like Halloween. Um, and then Victor Miller wrote a script to that uh, concept and idea. Uh, Sean Cunningham already really had the idea, I believe, of just naming it Friday the 13th. Right, because um, it, it had a it had an, a working... Because it started with a poster, didn't it? He, he was His whole concept was this poster that said Friday the 13th. He had this image in his head of 
uh, it was like a poster, and also he kind of had an image of like like a commercial, like the trailer, the the at least the the kind of end of a trailer where he wanted Friday the Thirteenth breaking through the the words, just the words Friday the Thirteenth breaking through a pane of glass, mm-hmm. and he was like, I'd buy that movie, and so right. <laughs> so they. They they scrapped their working title, and he was like, "We got to call it Friday the 13th. And they actually started putting out the like kind of teaser industry teaser stuff before he had the poster made up, and he had all that stuff done before Victor Miller even had the script completed. Yep, because he was like, "I think that that title alone is going to sell," and he's yes. like. I, you know, so let's get it out there. So then we have backers. Like I want right. distribution secured. I want all that secured right away. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so he, he already kind of had all that sitting in his back pocket as they went to start production. Right. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, a lot of uh, films these days, they don't do that. You know, it's, it's, you get your, your producers, you get your money. You know, Mm -hmm. you make your film and then you go through a whole process of test audiences and critic uh, previews and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he was almost working backwards. Right, right. He was like, I want to know I can distribute this film everywhere I want to before we even start putting it in the can. (laughs) Before even one word is written. Yeah, and I mean, you got to think he must have been a great talker to because con- he convinced um, who was. Well, it? have you ever seen him interviewed? In comparison to other movie uh, horror movie directors, um, Sean Cunningham is a he's a great storyteller. He's very animated. He's a he's a, um, he's a great interview. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I could totally see him you know, selling this, uh, to a movie studio. Yeah. He, um, yeah, the, the, there was a distribution bidding war based around his, his pitch basically. And Paramount won the domestic rights to distribute Mm -hmm. it. But then Warner brothers won the rights to distribute it to every other country. Right. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of nuts, kind of nuts the way he did it. It's kind of nuts. It's yes, kind of it nuts. And so Sean Cunningham, in case anybody doesn't know other than this exactly who he is, I mean, it's not like he just popped out of n- nowhere. He worked with no? uh, Wes Craven on Last House on the Left. He he had been in and around the industry. He, he actually started out making softcore pornos. Um, I think I might have a couple of those written down. What would it... <laughs> Let me see what if, if I have the names of any of those. I yeah. think they were very soft, though. That right? It, oh yeah, it's weren't. it's like the softest of it's early softcore, you know, right. because there were there were stricter rules about what you could get away with to 
to even get it in any kind of a reputable theater of of any right. sort. Um, so he was making stuff like there. There's the case of the full moon murders was probably his most su- successful softcore porno, and he did yeah. some other stuff with uh, Marilyn Chambers. Marilyn Chambers, right. uh, very very famous. Uh, Marilyn Chambers from the the movie Rabid. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so and of course, and and, and many other and other ma- movies and many more. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so Sean Sean Cunningham came into this knowing what he was doing. He had he had, I mean, uh, very famously, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, the director of Men in Black, mm-hmm. he started in porn. So there there is a history of filmmakers cutting their teeth, sure, in that industry where it's a little easier to get in the door if you you know as long as you know how to operate a camera and how you know to get lighting right <laughs> like you get jobs <laughs> the way the way porn used to be right right shot i mean not now now you just anybody with a an iphone can make a porn yeah we're talking about back when you know they actually tried to craft stories and narratives that right. would captivate <laughs> right you know you're talking right. about the the era of johnny wad <laughs> right like Burt Reynolds used to say, said in uh, Boogie Nights. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, and then once it went to videotape, it all just went downhill. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Any, any, any jackass with a camcorder. Any jackass with a camcorder. Yep. <laughs> so let's see. Um, we've, we've got a, a, a good cast in this. They, they cast this movie from the like New York theater scene. You know, mm-hmm. and actually went to like reputable casting agencies. Uh, Sean Cunningham famously, uh, his only criteria was that they they look good, that they look like they could be in a Pepsi commercial, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he got the cast uh, that he got, which um, has has some uh, some standouts. I mean, it, you know, it is it is what it is. It's a low budget horror film. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like every one of these people was destined to, you know, win Emmys and Golden Globes, but, uh, they I can't mean, can't all be Kevin Bacon, Kyle. Yeah. The, the most famous is Kevin Bacon playing Jack. They got a, right. an early Kevin Bacon. The only film he had done other than this one, the one, his first film was Animal House, Animal House. uh, right. where he played one of the, uh, ROTC cadets. Mm-hmm. in Animal House. And then this was his second film and he was kind of just uh happy to be there. He stated he was just he just enjoyed, you know, being on a movie, you know, filming all this stuff and he got to have a love scene with the a topless actress and he was yep. just enjoying himself. Yeah. And uh according to Tom Savini, Kevin Bacon was like totally into like his death scene like he thought like all the uh, effects work was super cool. Yeah, yeah, and he was relatively close to home, right? Right, right. Because this was in filmed. Uh, Brad famously where? Well, a couple of spots, but the um, Blairstown is um, commonly referred to as the town that this was shot in. But the, technically, the camp. I believe is in a, t- a small town outside of Blairstown. It's all the Blairstown area, but it's Hardwick. Um, it's actually in a town called Hardwick. Um, that's where the camp is. 
the diner and all that stuff was in um, Blairstown. Um, and then there was another scene where she's walking um, next to a stone building. That's in Hope. And this um, is in what state? This is in New Jersey. Um, so, yeah. So this actually used to be my sales territory. Uh, yeah, this is like Warren County. Career. This is like Warren County, New this Jersey. This is where right? we grew up. This is yeah. this is right around where we grew up. My dad. Um, my this, dad is from Warren County, New Jersey. We we all have. Yeah, my grandmother's from Phillipsburg. You know, she and um, so, yeah, from Warren County. And this was, uh, like I said, about half hour, 40 minutes uh, from where we grew up. Um, our friend Jamie uh, was a counselor, camp counselor <laughs> at a camp next, like right next to this. Yeah, it's like on uh, the same uh, lake. <laughs> it's in the sea. Yeah, right. Because so, this, this is um, at one of the, this is filmed at one of those camps where literally uh, developers at a certain, during a certain era, bought up property around lakefronts. Mm -hmm. And then yep. they would just set up, it's like there were like, 10 camps around the and lake still and there and and a lot of them because like i said this was my sales territory um and the industry i'm in camps are 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 a big customer of ours so they you know they were they're still around yeah you know they're they're around even now yeah they they might not be as like well known and as popular there was there was a time period where like they're pretty booked uh, <laughs> i there, mean there, they're, there was they're, a, they're pretty booked there was a time period where, it, well, usually it's around like um, areas that are not too far outside of major city centers. They still have lots of camp activity, but like I didn't, I didn't know the many. Poconos. Yeah, I didn't know many kids from our area that went to like camp every year. You know, there were a few, but not many. Eric, my brother, went yeah. to camp every year. He went to he went to um, wrestling camp every year. Camp Camp Hugh Beaver. Um, yeah, yeah. Camp UG Beaver. <laughs> yeah. I love it at Camp UG Beaver. Yeah, well, that's not UG. It's yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing uh, like a good walk camp in the Hugh bush. <laughs> there's there's a camp, camp Ramsbottom. There's a Camp Ramsbottom up here in Massachusetts. I I am not lying, and I I don't know. It's a Boy Scout. Anybody camp. will hear it. Yeah. But every I pass it, you know, it, during the course of my day, I will pass it. And I passed it many times and I laugh every time. I'm like, how can and it has a huge sign on the road, like right on the road in huge letters that says Camp Ramsbottom. Like, are you serious? <laughs> so other than other than Kevin Bacon, I don't know if you want to send your kids there. I'll tell you, it's a tough, tough entrance exam <laughs> to get into Camp Ram's Bottom. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, so, other than Kevin Bacon, uh, we do have uh, Harry Crosby, uh, Bing Crosby's son, uh, is one of the the actors in this. Um, one of the standouts is, uh, Mark Nelson. I think he's like the, he's the comic relief type guy. He's like the prankster oh, he's the guy that does the Humphrey Bogart impression. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he kind of, um, he likes to take credit as being like the first like slasher movie prankster that gets murdered yep, <laughs> in, that's slasher, true. in slasher movie history. Yep. Um, but you have, uh, 
at least one very big name, uh, maybe not known to the people who would have gone to the theater to see this necessarily at the time, um, but she was a big stage and screen actress. She had been on soap operas, like uh, teenagers at this time going to see this, like their moms and dads would have known who Betsy Palmer is. Betsy Palmer, yeah. Yeah, Betsy Palmer plays Pamela Voorhees, uh, she was a lifetime member of the Actors Studio, had done Broadway. She had been a reporter on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. Um, many films in the 50s. Uh, later was on As the World Turns and Knott's Landing. She dated James Dean. <laughs> I mean... Oh, man. Yeah, she... she like when she says she did this movie because she wanted to buy a she new car. A car. Yeah, her car yep. had broken down. Yep. And she she needed some fast cash and they had the right amount of money for the Volkswagen she wanted. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And she fa- you know, she famously um she shat on she the movie understand. for a long she, time. <laughs> she didn't understand the movie. She didn't understand what the appeal was. She thought it was silly, and and she um and she just did it for the car, and um but has uh, before she passed away, um she came around to the movie. It's once she started um, to meet fans. She said, right. Once yeah. she started and to meet, she started fans. going to the conventions, and she started. She was wearing the sweater and everything. You know, yeah. she would wear the she would wear the yeah. blue sweater because. Because she she was one of those kind of classically trained actors who didn't really get the... Like, horror movies were either one of two types of actors for a long time, long, long time. There were one of two types of actors that appeared in horror films. Either uh, green actors that were just starting out, a la yeah. Kevin Bacon, or washed-up actors who didn't have anywhere else to go, sort of like um, the uh, uh, Carradine, uh, John Carradine, very famously at the end of his illustrious career, had just a whole slate of horror movies that he appeared in. Now, horror movie fans are like, yeah, fucking John Carradine, awesome, you know? I love the movies he was in. But that back when he was doing it, that was seen as like, oh, that's when you're like not getting offers anymore. You go to right. horror movies. And so Betsy right. Palmer was viewing it through those glasses of, yep. wow, I really hope they don't see me as being like washed up for being in this. Right. Um, but once she started meeting fans and realizing just how many people were out there who saw yep. these films, loved these films... And we're coming up to her and being like, oh my gosh, you like, she, she had the same experience like Vincent Price. He loved doing the horror movies he did because he would get approached by anybody and everybody. And his favorite thing in the world was if you said, oh, you scared me so bad in that movie. Like I was so scared by your performance. He would be like, oh, then I did my job. Awesome. Great. I'm so glad, you know, so she took on the same philosophy eventually of, Oh, I touched you in some way with my performance. Awesome. Great. I love that. So the other great standout performance in this film is, of course, Walt Gorney as Crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph. Yeah. You got to do the line, Brad. Got a death curse. (laughs) You're all doomed. (laughs) 
you're all doomed. It's got a death curse. Uh, yeah, uh, Crazy Ralph, awesome. Um, meant to be like a red herring, but I don't think anybody ever really thought Crazy nah, Ralph was murdering anybody. Was, nah, he, nah. Sean Cunningham even says he didn't quite pull that one off. <laughs> nah, nope. So yeah, Brad, he's just a little too old, and you know. To, so, so Brad, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, you know, with the success of Halloween, Halloween for a lot of the directors and producers of horror movies at the time, like you see it now, like audiences that see the original Halloween now, you've seen so much other stuff that's come before that you might think like my son, my son, Jack looks at Halloween and he's like, I kind of don't get it. Like, what's the thing? But you have to understand, as far as the history of film, the effect that Halloween had on the industry. The fact that John Carpenter crafted a film that should have been kind of uh, just a straightforward drive-in, slasher flick, whatever. But the way he crafted that film from the performances, to the shots, to the music, to the look of the film, everything, all the work that he did with, you know, him and Dean Cundy working on those, those shots and those angles. He crafted a movie where people saw that and they were like, this is, some people were like, this is like the new Hitchcock. This is like now the model for how you make a horror film. And then some people just wanted to replicate the success. And Brad, which one was Sean Cunningham? <laughs> he just wanted, wanted to replicate the success. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's all he wanted to do. Yeah. But Halloween changed the game. Halloween changed the game, sure. And, and I get it that, you know, um, someone like as young as Jack wouldn't quite get it. Um, because so much has come after it. Um, but yeah, at the time, you know, this is the Halloween was a huge step forward for, for horror movies. Yeah. Um, so, but even when I watched it, you know, it's scared. It's one of it's, it's my favorite movie because it scared me to death, you know, but uh, you know, with, with saw and, and insidious and all the, all the conjuring and all that stuff. Like, like we talked about before, that's what's popular now. So I can get how Jack wouldn't, wouldn't get it. But, um, but this, yeah, this movie just, uh, Friday the 13th just wanted to kind of replicate the success. They, they just kind of saw it as a formula. They took it as a, again, singular killer, um, chasing down, uh, beautiful young people, uh, and murdering them one by one. That, that was the formula. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Are you saying it's like a cheap copy kind of thing? Um, no, I think, I think that Sean Cunningham, you, you could view it that way. You could view it in kind of a pessimistic way. Oh, and by the way, uh, for any of the ladies listening, uh, you do get to see Kevin Bacon in one of the tightest speedos. Oh, the teeniest of bathing suits. Yep. Um, I mean, you're talking, al- you're talking an olive smuggler. Uh, bathing suit. <laughs> hey, uh, but hey, he looks good in it. So. Absolutely. Uh, 
If they, you can pull it off, there's nothing. So there's nothing wrong with it if you can pull it off. But you have to pull it off, <laughs> and you have to know that you can pull it off. Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't you know? put me in that suit. <laughs> don't don't lie to yourself. I I would never. Like I'm I'm a, I'm I'm very thin, uh, but I would I would not pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, this, this but no, this film. You know, I think that uh, Sean Cunningham. Um, you know, there's, there's the infamous fight between, uh, is it Sean Cunningham who created the, uh, the sort of, um, built the architecture to make like a franchise, you know, a, a, a little kingdom out of Friday the 13th, or was it Victor Miller's writing? It's Sean Cunningham. Like, I think we can all agree. <laughs> Sean Cunningham managed yep. to pull off something that audiences this time there had been other it's his vision so when right. we talk about the 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 these franchises we're talking about whose vision it was wes craven's vision for nightmare on elm street and and john carpenter's vision for halloween it this is sean cunningham's vision um victor miller put it out of camp um he felt it was you know kind of take them get get all the young people away from any sort of help you know because they're out in the middle of the woods uh they're, they're away from their parents they're away from the safety of their homes and kind of vulnerable um that was all victor miller, so the leak and all that stuff it's all victor miller um but the, but this was really kind of sean cunningham's um vision and he changed a lot of the movie so like he he said in interviews like he's they they went ahead and they kind of wrote and rewrote, you know, as they kind of went. So a lot of this movie isn't necessarily what Victor Miller originally had in mind. But yeah, and I mean, Sean Cunningham, you can tell, you know, he's not just, uh, you, you can tell when it's a movie that's just made for money. Like, Sean Cunningham might say he made it to make a bunch of money, hopefully, but you can tell he gave a shit. You know, I mean, they're literally <laughs> using... Yeah. He, he's literally using like inspirations of like giallo horror, you know, with the mm -hmm. face for the most for the most part up until the last what like five ten minutes, it's a faceless killer. You right, it's first person. It's in first person. So like again, Halloween, um, you know, um, eventually it goes away from that. But for yeah, for most of this movie, because it's a who. You know who done it, kind of thing. Yeah, he even um, holds out longer than John Carpenter because John Carpenter, you at he least does, see because eventually you see you start to see Michael. You see Michael it. Myers with the mask on and everything right, else. Right, right, but right. I mean, yep. up until the very last climactic scenario, you have right. no idea who this is. All right. you're left is with assumptions of who this could be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but you've got that. You've got uh, the score by Henry Manfredini. Um, which is, you know, now iconic, um, mm. especially the sound effect. Uh, now you have to do the sound effect. <laughs> kill, 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 ma, 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 ma. Kill, 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 ma, 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 ma. <laughs> Perfect. Well done. <laughs> and then, of course, we have to, we can't go through this without mentioning. You have the master of masters thomas vincent oh, savini, savini. 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. Makes and, a big difference when you when you get a guy like that working on your movie. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And because uh, Tom Savini, to give you a rundown, for, I mean, I would assume if you're listening to a horror movie podcast, you know who Tom Savini is. But in case you don't, Tom Savini, combat photographer, trained fencer, combat gym- photographer in Vietnam. in Vietnam, gymnast, bullwhip aficionado. stuntman actor director Mm. um and of course makeup effects master extraordinaire yeah director of one of the few remakes we like right right absolutely yeah the director of the remake of night of the living dead um which is awesome because he he stayed true to the source material and changed it just enough to make it as interesting as the original. Right. And yep. now, of course, his effects work, this was uh, his second film that he worked on, like, or at least that he's like really known for his effects. The, the one he was on before this, the, where he had gotten dis- like sort of seen by Sean Cunningham, was from Dawn of the Dead. He had done all of the makeup effects and, and special effects on Dawn of the Dead, and Sean Cunningham was like, I need that guy for this. So he did this movie. He did Maniac, Creep Show 1 and 2, The Burning, The Prowler, Day of the Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, etc., etc., and many more. But those are his uh, his probably most famous. That l- short list are his most famous horror films that he did. Special, and also in case you're wondering what Tom Savini looks like, if you uh, watch from dusk till dawn, dusk till dawn, he yep, is sure. Sex Machine. <laughs> yeah, yes, with, with the the with the <laughs> gun in his crotch, the, with the, the codpiece gun. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god brilliant yeah Just brilliant what yeah, a great Tom, movie and tom savini he he very famously for all of his success in uh effects work he always saw himself as an actor first mm-hmm. and a director second and mm-hmm. an effects master third um because when he came onto this film um, I think they thought they were just getting a special effects guy. They didn't realize like the breadth of what Tom Savini could do and what he knew. He knew fight choreography, you know, from his fencing experience. Um, so he came in like the fight scenes. Uh, well, the chase through the woods in the beginning, where you see that initial that first girl gets dropped off by the 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 gas truck. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he helped them to choreograph the chase and the shot sequence on that because that's where she gets her throat cut so it's the the neck slit effect yep mm-hmm. um but he helped basically helped sean cunningham like you know well it, it you really to make this really effective you should go like here to here to here to here and right. then the fight at the end of the film between uh betsy palmer's character and the character of alice he choreographed that fight. Mm-hmm. All the slaps, the pushes, the tumbles. He helped to choreograph that whole thing. And that yeah. was, he was supposed to be like done with the film. 
and was like leaving him and his uh, partner. He had a guy like an assistant and they were like leaving because all of their like effect shots were done. And then he saw them struggling to get like, you know, some sequence uh, shot. And he was like, hey, would you like us to help out on this? And they just stuck around. (laughs) Wow. Nice. (laughs) And very nice. Also, you'll see there's the uh, at the climax, there's the scene where the one uh, girl who's been killed at the uh, archery range gets Mm -hmm. thrown through the window into the cabin. And it's like a big jump scare surprise. That's Tom Savini in a wig and the, the nightgown coming through the window doing that stunt. Yeah, cool. <laughs> There's actually a picture of him standing there with his big bushy mustache, wearing the brown wig with the nightgown on, like posing with Alice. <laughs> does he do the conventions? Um, he does now and again, but I don't think he does as much because he has that uh, school that he he runs mm. in uh, out near Pittsburgh because he's still like Pennsylvania based. He's still out of. He was always out of Pittsburgh. Like yeah. he, he would that he never moved to LA. Like that's where he lived. And he would, it's like, okay, well, if you want me on the movie, you got to pay to fly me out. Right. <laughs> but, uh, he's got that effects school that he runs. And, um, so he, he mainly does that, but he does do some conventions, but I think he only kind of sticks to like the bigger ones and ones that are closer to home. I don't think he wants to have to travel too much because he's he's pretty much he's semi-retired um he had to give it up his hands went on him so he had to give up sculpting and effects work he now only if he does anything it's only to um consult or consult or or oversee you know but he's not credited anymore like you haven't seen him on a movie as as the effects supervisor in in a few years legend Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely legend. The great Tom Savini. So yeah, Brad, this this sucker, this spawned nine sequels. <laughs> yep. W- one reboot. Yes. And one monster mashup. <laughs> one monster mashup. That's right. Yep. So now Brad, being that this is uh ostensibly um one of your most favorite uh, franchises. Mm. So what what is it about this film that that makes you come back to it again and again and again? Nothing about this film. So Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I I I'm 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 half kidding. But um no, what what keeps me coming back to the franchise is um Friday the 13th part two is actually my favorite. So once they do go to adult Jason, that's where I'm, I'm, you know, all about it. Um, I rarely watch the original Friday the 13th. I know you, you probably watch it more than I do. I probably um, have seen it more. Yeah. Cause I know. Yeah. Right. We talked about it and, and I know that you like the, um, the kind of twist at the end with Betsy Palmer being the, the killer, uh, Jason's mom. 
I like Jason being the killer. I just I just do. It's it's, it's, it's how we grew up, right? We grew up with the hockey mask. Because uh, by the time we grew up, we were, were old enough to watch horror movies. He was already behind the mask. So, yeah, because this is 1980. Um, we were one year old. This is 1980. <laughs> we were one. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were old enough to watch horror movies, you know, right around the time Jason Takes Manhattan came out. Um, yeah. I remember so, that probably as being like one of the first ones that we saw. Right. And that's that's Kane Hodder. So, you know, that's kind of who we identified with as Jason all these years was really Kane Hodder. And obviously there's there's all these different actors that played him over the years. But um, I but I understand the importance of this movie. Obviously, it's it's the original. Um, I I just don't think it's the best in the series. Um. So, uh, again, I think two is the best in the series, but um, there is a lot of good things about the movie. Um, and when when we decided to do this um, episode and I went back and I watched it a few times um, now, I, I it is one of the better ones in the franchise. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that um, it definitely is. It's just not my favorite because strictly because of of adult Jason not being in it. And that's it. Um, everything else about the movie, I like the cast. We talk about likable characters. They are likable. Um, they go Friday the 13th movies. The cast goes quick. Like they're, yeah. you know, they you kind of see a few scenes and then they're kind of, dead yeah, deep. there's not a lot of setup to each. <laughs> right. It's not like it, as opposed to Halloween where you get a little bit more, I think depth the tension the building, uh, and the, the, the tension building and stuff like that. So, yeah. Right. This is a slat. This is a slasher in the true sense of the word. Like this is all about how many kills can Jason rack up. Um, so, or in this case, you know, Betsy Palmer, but um, I think Betsy Palmer is great. I love her in, you know, the role of the killer. So her um, performance and this is she's, she's, we talk about, we talk, we, what did we talk about before? Right. The separation you know, between, you know, between actors and how good they are. And you have like talent, like Kevin Bacon in this movie, you have crazy route. So you have a good cast. It's not what I'm saying, but then Betsy Palmer comes on screen and you're like, Whoa. Yeah. You know, she kind of instantly takes over and, you know, and, and the reason, like you mentioned how I, I, you know, tend to like this one better than many of the others is, I think really, truly, I mean, I mean, the given the, the, the kills are, are great. The, you know, Kevin Bacon getting the arrow through the neck in the bed, you know, is it's yep. very simple, but it's some of Tom Savini's, you know, best work because he's, he's always, I think at his best when he is going for realism mm-hmm. over, over just shock gore. Like he can do that. He he does shock gore better than than anybody, um, except mm-hmm. maybe Greg Nicotero, who has worked you know worked under Tom Savini uh, for for many years. Greg Nicotero yeah. can do some really crazy shit as well. But um, but Tom Savini, because of that experience he had seeing real trauma and things in Vietnam. Um, when he does a simple thing like an arrow through the neck, you believe it. 
you know, right. it, it looks, right. it looks real. It, except in that, in there's a little bit of a mishap in the, in Kevin Bacon's death scene. So when the arrow goes through, we talked about it on the on yeah. previous episode. When the arrow actually, or the the spear, what is it? It's an arrow. It's an arrow. Yeah. So it goes. It's an arrow. It goes through his neck, and it starts to bleed. But the they were having trouble with the blood, like yeah, the pump coming broke. up. Right. So Tom Savini just blew through the tube and pushed it out. So you get this little like gurgle, yeah, you know, kind of uh, 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 spurt, you know, coming out. And it makes the 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 kill even cooler. Yeah, and that was yeah. a total accident. So yeah, yeah. Um, so you have all that, and then you get Betsy Palmer coming in, and the reason I I, I love her being in this film is because you really did need somebody who really has that kind of character work knowledge. To pull off when you first see her, you think, "Oh, she's the this you know she's who she I'm Pamela Voorhees. I live nearby. I'm a friend of the Christies, you know." And you think she's this nice old neighbor lady who has mm. come to help save the day. That she's going to get Alice out of there and whisk her away, and everything will be fine again. Yeah. And then you watch her slowly unravel right mm-hmm. there in front of Alice as she's like the goes from nice old lady to oh you're psycho <laughs> yeah i just pooped my i just pooped my pants a little <laughs> yeah a little 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 turd came out <laughs> yeah yeah i sharded but yeah betsy palmer um and here's something about betsy palmer so from her uh experiences you know working in the actor's studio working on broadway um and all that kind of stuff she you know even for a role like this she did the same work she would do for any role that she ever had which it goes back to her actor studio training of you create a backstory for your character mm-hmm. so she had a whole reason concocted her that was not in the script that was not even discussed with sean cunningham like because Mm -hmm. in the actor's studio they teach you like that's for you you keep that internal and then you let your performance allude to it you mean the part about the counselors not paying attention well no she actually had a whole backstory um because one of the criticisms of the film is um there have been criticisms that it's misogynist, that it's uh, part of like the the anti-sex wag your finger at teenagers having sex so they get murdered trope oh, sure. and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But see, Betsy Palmer, she envisioned that Pamela Voorhees, back when she was young, had had a premarital escapade and got pregnant and was ditched by the guy. The guy took off and left her alone and pregnant. And so she was left to raise Jason on her own, working any jobs that she could get because it was she would have been born just like Betsy Palmer in a time period where to be a single mother with no father in the picture, uh, that's, that's like a, a black mark on you socially. So she wouldn't have gotten 
hired and with a kid to take care of, she wouldn't have been able to get the good jobs at that time period. So she's taking anything she can get. She ends up as a cook at Camp Crystal Lake. And that's how Jason gets to go to the camp during the summers is because she's the cook there. Jason dies because, as is written, counselors were off having premarital sex and not watching the kids. So that triggers her just like she had had the premarital affair that caused her to be pregnant with Jason and brought Jason's world, who was like her only bright shining spot. Now this premier, but she struggled. She had a trauma and struggle in doing that. These people having premarital sex took all that away. Now Jason is now dead. And so from her negative experience with premarital sex, with the guy leaving her and the trauma to then her son dying from kids off having premarital sex, she sees that and that's like a trigger for her when she sees these counselors frolicking and hooking up and all this it triggers her deep down back to that first experience with the boyfriend her own boyfriend and so now uh she's not been able to bring herself to leave the camp where jason died and when these new counselors arrive and start fooling around she sees red and just yep. starts murdering everybody because she's going to get revenge not just on the counselors who she feels were responsible for her son's death, but it's also revenge on the man who left her living in shame. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was her pretty backstory, good. internal backstory. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, no, she just, t- yeah, she, she um, shows up you know, last 10 minutes, I'll give it 10 minutes. Right. Um, last 10 minutes of the movie and just takes over. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah. And actually now given that's her backstory, that's not Canon. That's not something Sean Cunningham, but after reading about that, that makes me almost appreciate the movie a little more. Like I think she provides a good subtext, even though it's invented, she provides a really great subtext for, you know, why this might all be happening, you know, on right. a on a very deeper core level. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a lot of people I've I saw um, in preparing for the episode. There were interviews uh, where people were talking about that, that. Like one guy was like, I wish my mom loved me that much that she would kill a whole camp full of counselors, <laughs> you know, out of revenge for me. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a sad story. So <laughs> you feel bad for the Voorhees family. Yeah, absolutely. So Brad, what what do you feel are the 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 bright spots of like the story itself, the film as we as we watch it? Like what are some of your favorite favorite moments? My <laughs> Well, some of the moments of the movie that stand out. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to bring this up with you. Early in the movie, it's it's just a silly... Um, uh, well, actually, it comes back, I think, when, when the, the woman dies. But um, the guy that does the comic relief, that character, 
the guy yeah. that does the Humph- Humphrey Bogart impression, he, the one girl is standing, she's setting up the targets. Yeah. And he comes up, so she's, so she sets up the target and then she kind of steps to the side of the target, but she's still right there. He fires an arrow into the target, <laughs> like missing her by inches. As a prank. And, as a finger quotes and he's laughing and she eventually laughs and you know i'm like oh ned yeah well i mean at first she's like i'm gonna kill you but then she you know he kind of makes her laugh and she all is forgiven i'm like he almost killed you (laughs) like he almost killed you yeah and i just thought she kind of passed over that like a little she forgave him a little too quickly for that so that was weird another um odd spot of the movie and i know people talk about it all the time at least horror movie fans talk about it all the time is the snake in the cabin right oh my so, gosh there's so people the that get traumatized the... by that right scene. why why do they get traumatized because because they, they really killed that fucking real, snake they really killed the snake yeah and they didn't so tell good. the snake handler the guy who brought the snake to like use in the scene they didn't yeah. tell him they were really going to chop it up before they did it. Oops. They just went with it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, you always see the disclaimer at the end of the movies. You know, no animals were harmed during the making of an this movie. An animal was definitely well, an harmed. Animal, animal was, yeah, definitely harmed. So, and we're, and we're um, I mean, we're, we're laughing about it because in retrospect, it, it's because you would never get away with that shit now. Like, mm. that's why it's, like, kind of humorous, because, like, this was such run-and-gun Wild West shit back when the, they were... 70s, early 80s. Like, they were just fucking making movies. Right, right, They didn't right. get permits. Yep. They didn't check with anybody. <laughs> they didn't get right. the proper sign-offs. You yeah, know? The, sure. o- the only sure. thing... The only thing you had to make sure of filming a movie was that you had the proper union representation. That was it. You couldn't mess with the unions. Oh, yeah, no. Don't mess with the unions. You had to have the unions covered. Other than that, everything else was fair fucking game. Right. Right. They they said Um, the owner of the camp was on set when they killed the snake, and she was sobbing. Oh. Oh. But, yeah. yeah, no, that 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 was a, that's a stand moment. Um, um, the so the the guy, the Christie, um, Steve Christie, is the um, son. I'm assuming of the original owners or the grandson of the original owners of the yeah of the, the camp. The Ackland, Christie family right? owns the property, right? And he's right. decided, I'm going to bring this back to life. I'm going yeah. to reinvigorate yeah. this. What? How, how do you feel about this guy? Because see, he he's 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 a bit of a he's, he's a bit of a creepo. He's got yeah, he's got uh, he's got a, like pedo vibes all over him. <laughs> well, why? Because he has so he's right. Because he's obviously like no offense to the actor. Alice. No offense to the actor. But the no. way he's like just presented dressed. in the film and dressed, yeah, he's got major he's got, pedo he's vibes. Got a, well, he's got he's got the uh, handkerchief tied <laughs> around his neck, no shirt, 
He's got the classic hairy chest. Tight little right? cut-off jean shorts. Tight little <laughs> cut-off jean shorts and and then the boots. Right? Yeah. So he looks like fresh out of the village people. And <laughs> he just, I don't know. He just gives off, like, I don't. Yeah, he's, I, yeah, I, yeah, I say, I say, I say pedo, but it's, it's just major creeper. Yeah. He, yeah, he's just a, he's just a creep. And because I don't know how old Alice is supposed to be in this movie. I think Alice is supposed he's, to be at, at best. I think she's supposed to be like a high school graduate. I think at best. So I think she's supposed to be of age because there's some, well, there's like this thing that goes on between Steve Christie and Alice. Yeah. It's like a weird thing where she's like super lukewarm to him. She really like in today's, I I should put it this way in today's environment. Let's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm one of those people that I say, Hey, you know, you, when you watch a film, you watch it in the context of the time, and place it was right. made. I'm I'm definitely all about that. But if you're watching this from like a modern audience viewpoint, mm-hmm. like it looks like he is coming on super strong and she yes. is doing everything she can to be polite. It it looks like they had a little something. There was some feelings. Yeah, there had to yeah, there was something going I on think between the two of them. I think Adrian King had said that their their backstory was a little bit of that they had had like a tryst, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of times. But she appears, the way it's presented from the beginning of this film, she looks like she's trying to be polite but keep him at a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like every and, time he tries he's... to get close, she like backs away. <laughs> yeah, so I'm wondering if he has like this secret dark side to him because he is known around town like people like him the diner wait uh the waitress at the diner knows him real well the cop knows him you know like people around town know him um so he's you know but i just think he's when like behind closed doors he's yeah i think it it, something something sinister something got rough on that second go round with alice (laughs) well yeah something got a little too little too little too little too rough <laughs> yeah yeah something 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 happened and something she was happened. like thanks but no thanks <laughs> yeah so but um but you know it, and then um obviously for me with this movie um because of where it was shot you know there's a little bit of a little bit of pride you know being from that area you know, and yeah. be like, yeah, I live right next to Crystal Lake, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it was cool. Like, I was, like, on one day during, um, I was working, and I was running sales, and I was in that area. I was right in Hardwick. So I just drove up to the camp, you know, and um, I took that picture for you yeah. and sent it to you. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of cool being there. So, um you know that that's that's a cool part of uh, of this movie for me. Um, so yeah, you know there, there's a lot of good things in this movie. Um, I, I I do like it. I don't want it to sound or come off like I don't like this movie. Yeah. Um, I just think like when I when I want to watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie, this is down on the list though. You know, so like 
if I want to watch like the other night, um, well, we watched seven, uh, the, the Friday the 13th part seven right. on Friday uh, last night. And then, um, I just watched six and those are the ones I watch, you know, two, three, I start with two. Like I always kind of start with two and then go to three and four, five. I don't watch all that much. Um, not Jason X. Every... You don't watch Jason X like all the time. I, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Actually, I I watched that not too long ago. I did give it a rewatch. Um, it's just a funny. It's, yeah, that, it's like that's a Jason in it's space. Like a... For anybody that hasn't seen that, it's literally during that yeah. whole era where they sent everybody to space. Leprechaun in space. Jason in space. Hellraiser went to space. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> And did we say on a previous episode that it was John Carpenter's idea to send Michael John, Myers in the space? John Carpenter was going to send Michael Myers to space. Right, right. So, yeah, I think yeah. that eventually just became Ghosts of Mars. When you when you <laughs> run out of yeah, right, yeah. when you uh, when you run out of ideas, you just send everybody to space. Just say, yep, yeah, right to space. Yeah. <laughs> One so, of. Um, oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. No, I'm just 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 <laughs> you know just to say it again. Um, you know, I start with two and three is where he gets the mask. So it's not until three that he actually puts the the, um, the famous mask on. Um, and then the six is like silly. Um, yeah. It's kind of this quirky. It's this real fun, quirky movie. And I'd like to do an episode on it because we would I think with this franchise, we kind of have to pick our spots here. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we have to go through every single movie. Because uh, there's so many of them, um, but six is kind of a unique one. It's kind of a, it's like a fun one, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, it, it's a little over the top, um, but it's uh, it's this really quirky, fun movie. Um, but the two, three, and four, I think, are the best of the series. Those yeah. are the the core ones that I always watch. I I, I don't know how you feel about it. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, growing up and, and having seen uh, the later films, and I mean, yeah, you want Jason in the hockey mask, you want all that stuff. I kind of, I view this, even though it's the first of the franchise, I almost view this as like a its own movie. It, it, it could easily just be its own standalone film. Sure. They could yep. have changed, you know, you could, you could take this vaguely remake it change jason to billy and you know it'd be the mm-hmm. same movie you know right um right. it's just you know once they began crafting more and more story and lore on top of it you know yep. um but yes yeah, so, i mean you want jason in the hockey mask you know that's that's what you you look well, for when you when you want a core even, friday the 13th experience but even my favorite, my favorite one is two, and 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 that's he he has the potato sack um, pillowcase, so just, just whatever. Yeah, you because you like you if like you go sack back, face. If you, if you go back and you watch Crystal Lake Memories, there are two that they talk about it, um, and one person says it's a potato sack, and one person says it's a pillowcase. I just kind of wonder where so, he would get a pillowcase. From his, he sleeps in, <laughs> you know, I don't know, Bed Bath and Beyond. He maybe. sleeps in dirt. <laughs> oh, no, he's got a whole shack. Um, 
but but anyway, so he wears so he has that kind of hood on, uh, which is reminiscent of um, the town that uh, dreaded sundown. Town that dreaded sundown. Um, so uh, he has that on, but I think that that's just a better movie. Yeah. So it's it's it has it's and it's not because they necessarily even because they build on the lore. I I like the final girl in that movie better. I like the character of Ginny better than I like Alice. Um, You know, I think it's almost in a way, the way it's shot, it's a little, it's almost like a little darker. Um, It has adult Jason in it. um, And it just has some um, kind of, it's, it's the, the characters are super likable. Um, I just think it's a better movie than this one is. Um, and then obviously three, he gets the mask. So you, you want to watch that all the time. Four is where it has, has Corey Feldman in it. So how can you not watch that one? <laughs> so, uh, Brad, I, I was wondering if you had ever realized this as I was going through all this stuff. Um, one of the people mentioned it, but this, this is basically just uh, psycho, but they reversed the roles of the mother and son. Yeah, huh. yeah, that's it, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I never, I, I never really. Yeah, but you're instead you're, of a sure. hotel, it's a camp, but it's still where it's people camp. go to stay. Yep, and yep. it's a crazy mother who's upset about her son dying and has a alternate personality voice in her head of her son telling her to kill, just like Norman Bates with his it's mother exactly in his head. Psycho. Wow, it really is psycho. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. That is crazy. Hmm. So let me see here. Um So now let me let, let's skip ahead a little bit. Um what do you what's your take on the very end? Alice is in the in the canoe on the the lake mm-hmm. after having uh chopped Pamela Voorhees's head off and her hairy knuckles come up grabbing for this <laughs> the bloody neck. Mm. <laughs> well, the ending in the context of if you, you you said you almost have to separate this movie, right? You yeah. take it in its kind of own so if if you take it as its own movie, the ending makes sense because it was a dream. She she woke up in the hospital and, and you're talking about said, the, ha- that very end with the with the very end with with Jason with popping Jason up out of the water up. and grabbing her in the canoe and pulling her uh, under the water. So <clears throat> that didn't actually happen. Because she was dreaming, she woke up, and you know they said they they're like we didn't we didn't find any little boy. So Jason, so in the concept of this movie, when it was released and everything, you know, was that Jason is dead. There is no Jason. Jason drowned in 1957, and uh, that's that. There yeah. there is no adult Jason. But if you take it now in the context of the series, it maybe wasn't a dream, 
if you're right if you're trying to right. piece this all together maybe it wasn't a dream and they just didn't find jason because jason has eluded everyone you know um for all this time but he comes out as a boy so it doesn't make any sense yeah yeah you I know think, uh, i think so the only it, it, you, yeah the only way that it it works with the franchise which that the whole jump scare at the end was Tom Savini. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of people that take credit, but um, most people seem to agree that Tom Savini was like, well, you got to have something like in Carrie, because he had just seen Carrie, and with the jump right, scare at the, the end of that, out. he's like, you yeah, got to have something. Sure. So somebody else might have written what happened, but Tom Savini mm. was the one who told Sean Cunningham, you got to end this with something big. Which is, which is again, it's fine because yeah. no one thought that it was going to go beyond this movie. But it, if you do take it in the context of the the whole story, you it, it's actually almost even sadder and more tragic to me because okay, so in the second one we get adult Jason with the potato sack on his head, so that means that at the time pillowcase <laughs> so that means that at the time that the first one happened mm-hmm. he was still alive somewhere out in those woods mm-hmm. right that means that pamela Voorhees's trauma at the perceived believed drowning death of her son where his body was never found mm. was so deep and put her into such a deep psychological hole that even with her son out there kind of just roaming around in the woods doing who knows what, she mentally could not accept that he was still alive. And so Jason... His mother is still there at the camp, like, or nearby, doing something. She's still around. Yeah. And he's living out in the woods in this shack he's had to make for himself as he's Mm. aged, probably just coming in, living off of scraps of whatever he could find at, like, nearby residences or in the town or whatever he becomes like a wild boy growing up completely on his own like loving his mother from afar and his mother like just totally can't even like doesn't even process the fact that that boy in the woods is her son because no my son died in the lake right (sighs) doesn't that make it extra fucked up that would yeah yes and then and then he watches yeah. her get beheaded from yeah. the woods yeah and then goes and collects her head when it's all said and done and makes that shrine in his little shack right and then wants revenge against anyone that shows up there ever again because now for him like with his mother they're all to blame for killing his mom yeah that makes it wow. extra fucked up, dude. <laughs> it does make it extra fucked up. Now you're right, man. Hmm. 
You can't. You can't even. Pro- it's like it's like a soap opera. You can't even process this shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So but. yeah. Um, so I, let's see. What? What? I had a question in my head, and I wanted to ask it. What was I gonna ask? Um, oh, so I mentioned earlier about how. Um, like especially like way infamously Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert um, lambasted this movie when it came out and Mm -hmm. talked about uh, how misogynistic it was and how, um, you know, it was all about like these uh, reinforcing uh, stereotypes about uh, women's roles and relationships and that sex is bad and people have to get punished for having for committing sins and all this kind of stuff. What's your take on that whole argument watching this film that I it's don't, yeah, misogynistic I don't, I don't really, and all that kind of stuff? I don't know. I don't really get that. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily get that from this movie. Do you? Um, well, no. I mean, I know what my you opinion know, I, is on it. Okay, the the it's it's a movie about you know, um, teen, kids are kids, teenagers are teenagers. Um, but um, I no, I, I I don't see them. No, I I don't see it that way at all. I mean, I just think it's a yeah, the the classic. Um, if you have premarital sex and do drugs, then you know you're you're gonna die in a horror movie, right? Um, but um, I, I I think sometimes people look way too deep into into this stuff. Like I I I mean we do in certain ways, obviously with Black Christmas. Like Black Christmas, there is that. Uh, but all that stuff subtle, was there. Like, it was there, right? Exactly. There's none of that in this. You know, they're yeah. just a bunch of kids going, going, you know, camping or you know, they're camp counselors, and there's a killer, and they're Sean Cunningham's just trying to, you know, yeah, they're make out, a movie they're, here. They're right? out on they're their just own. Trying to make funny. There's no yeah. parents around. They're they're yeah. and and they're coming up on a on a time period for the next however many months they're going to have to be like super responsible. So they're having mm-hmm. this kind of one last go of irresponsibility before they have to then watch out for the welfare of these kids. Yeah. Right? Yep. But my mm-hmm. my thing on it is, number one, um, it really drives me nuts when people... Like, of course, there, there are horror movies that uh, in some subtle and some not-so-subtle ways reinforce, like, negative viewpoints and shit. We've talked about that. We've talked about, you know, using um, uh, the use of terminology, you know, for certain sexualities and genders and things like that. Like, that's all something that people are very aware of, you know. But to, to paint all horror movies where there's women getting murdered by somebody um and they use a knife or whatever like i know in the real world 
You have, you know, psychosexual sadists like Ted Bundy, who his dick don't work, so he has to take a knife and stab young women so he can, you know, have orgasms. I get that that's real, right? Mm -hmm. But that ain't what's happening here. The killer's a woman. (laughs) Yeah. And she's killing out of revenge. (laughs) The killer's a woman, but the characters in the movie are not presented in a in a negative yeah, the women like, the women not, aren't they're not silly. stupid right they're the not women stupid they're but even like kevin bacon even though he um, and there's men getting murdered like smoked. they totally ignore the fact in slasher films that the guys get yeah. murdered too i don't understand why they the mm-hmm. people who who posit that criticism like because just, it's just, a final girl i know i know but it, it's like it's like they they went and, I mean, not to be offensive, I have a college education, but they went and got some PhD in, you know, uh, gender studies or something. You see them on some of these shows. And the, all of a sudden, it's like any movie where a woman gets stabbed is now a misogynistic film about psychosexual, yeah. you know, homicide and all that. And it ignores the fact that Kevin Bacon gets an arrow through the neck you know, all the boys die. Every, all the boys die. <laughs> in every movie. Yeah. In every single one. Guys die, girls die. They all yeah. die. And, they all die. And you can you can you can make an argument about how, okay, well it comes down if you have a final girl and the final girl is depicted as be, being, you know, uh pure quote-unquote in some way that that reinforces something yeah and i'm sure you could go back to some grimm's fairy tale you know where it sets up a dynamic of like the the unsullied woman you know claiming victory over the monster and all this kind of shit but that's not alice in this movie. but that's not alice alice has had a relationship with steve with, christie yeah like with that that's, creeper that's why i say when when you come when for any horror movie fans out there, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put this notice out there. Not that you care, not that I even care, but if you come at me with one of these ridiculous, stupid, postmodern takes on these movies, I'm gonna call you out and I'm gonna say, then you didn't see the movie. <laughs> you read some article and decided that's what Friday the thirteenth was about. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know well you had a pre preconceived notion going in yeah you viewed it, it you viewed it through the you, lens you, of your you belief system through, right exactly right exactly you know? because yeah. if you watch this movie none of that is true no none of it's true yeah nope nope alice is not the you know the pure you know virgin or whatever she's she's just the fight the, she's the last one <laughs> that's all right you know she's managed to survive you know to this point and if um, any if any, i'm sorry i don't i don't want to cut you off no go no ahead. go ahead sorry i, no, I was gonna that, say if any if anything she is shown in that whole interaction with steve christie with creepy steve christie <laughs> which is now creepy steve <laughs> he's the dipshit denny of this movie yeah. yeah that whole interaction she had with creepy steve actually shows that she is sort of the most emotionally mature out of the bunch. Mm-hmm. You know, she's actually even a little more mature, it feels almost, than him in that in that scene where they actually talk about things early yeah. on in the film. It feels like she's mm-hmm. almost a little more mature than him. Like, he's treating it like, well, oh, you ought to just jump in the sack with me. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, let's just go right back into it. And she's like, no, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not about that. Like, if you want to be with, she's almost like it's has a very nineties and Vogue feel. Like if you want to be with me, you got to like, show me something. You got to show me that you can be the mature man. That's going to like be my partner. Not just, Hey, let's go hop in the, on the mattress in the back and have a good time. You know, she's never going to get it. Never going to get it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not this time. <laughs> Never gonna get it. So you know, if anything, it it completely contradicts that 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 scenario and that trope. She's actually showing mm-hmm. maturity, but she's yeah. still she's still a young woman who is scared, mm-hmm. who doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know why this is happening. Adrian King does play her a little naive at times she comes off a little naive but that doesn't mean that she's supposed to be like just this you know uh puritanical version of a young lady you know yeah and then then pamela Voorhees shows up and it completely blows all that shit out of the water like this isn't a dude you know going around yeah, the, getting the his jollies between two, two women. women two strong women two women yep yep it's it's between it's between a girl who uh, is is strong in her convictions and wants to survive and another like a mama lion who believes she is striking out getting revenge for her dead son but we you know we're um we're talking about Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, you know, the, the mainstream kind of um yeah, hot movie takes. critics. They were hot well, takes before don't... there were hot takes. Right, right. But <laughs> we we talk about it all the time. The those those they those critics never get horror. They just don't. I don't know why. I don't I don't understand it uh, again, you know, um we've talked about it with with these movies before and how deep they can get and you know what what they're really trying to say um but the, it, it all goes over their heads or they don't appreciate it i i don't i don't you know but they always trash it they 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 consistently trash great horror and uh and unless now now you know with your you know with your um uh Guillermo del Toro's and your your Jordan Peele's and your you know your it's all got to be elevated or it's no good right well right there's now there's like um you know now there's horror that critics love you know but this is this would never have fallen into that bucket no and and given you know it has to be rosemary's baby it has to be you know it has to be something like that it's got to be produced by a24 or it doesn't count guys don't even bother blumhouse don't even bother anymore a24 a24's got it all wrapped up (laughs) in in 1980 right so i'm assuming that the shining the shining came out in 1980 so this is the same year um i'm sure that was critically acclaimed you know uh, I'd have to do the research specifically, but I actually think that was, um, after the success of 2001, I believe Stanley Kubrick took a hit from critics because they thought this was a step backward. 
that this oh. was not see it's considered one of his best now yeah you know now it's like you get documentaries like you know room 237 and stuff like that 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 delve into you know all the things that were going on in that film that you know you know kubrick is playing like three three-dimensional chess you know yeah. in his films which you know it's one of my favorite movies you know and this uh, although oh. yeah i love the shine it was in my it was in my top 20 i like the book better than the movie but mm-hmm. i love watching that for, even though the tv movie with steven weber is, is closer, to, closer the to the book and yep, Stephen King likes that one better. Like, Hey, you know, Stephen but King, guess what? he's a master. I'm Stanley sorry. Kubrick and it doesn't have Jack Nicholson. Yeah. So. Stanley Kubrick. Sorry. Like, the, the story is, is wonderful. King Stephen King's version of that story is, is, un, you know, amazing. Stanley Kubrick did what good directors do. He took something and made his own thing out of it. And that thing he made is like a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> like, you know, it just is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, you get you get that that film. But people at that time, they were kind of like, why is he making a horror movie? You know what what's going on in this? And people people at the time didn't react to it as well as they do now. Um, but my my point is is that something like a Friday the Thirteenth at the time uh, w- wasn't gonna get like oh no yeah you know, so so Sean Cunningham I, was super lucky to get Paramount Pictures to pick this up to distribute it right super right. lucky right and and again you know this isn't Halloween <laughs> I mean yeah you know, let let's you know so um but but I I I, I stopped caring about critics a long time ago uh, it, i i i don't care i i'm gonna go see the movie if i'm interested in the movie because you know they're just people and they're just watching the movies like we all are and they have a different opinion and sometimes they have too high of an opinion of themselves and you know yeah. um what what they're looking at so um horror again you know for the time is is always shoved down to um down below drama um it's like the lowest form of of movie making i guess um but i don't agree with that at all Um, yeah i think there's there's so much to these movies but again they go over people like gene siskel just whatever it's it's okay for it's okay for someone to not like a movie you know we see this all the time on facebook you can but not... to call it out like it's ridiculous. That's yeah. that's over the top. Okay, just say it felt like a cheap version of Halloween, and say okay, uh, all right, fine. Yeah, you can. But, you can, but yeah, you can not like a movie. Um, it's okay if you don't like a movie. However, don't feel like you have to craft some uh, hyper erudite complex reason citing all the like you know uh social uh modern social study papers and you know all this kind of stuff to to rationalize why you don't like the movie the movie didn't resonate with you that's fine but 
to tell me that, oh, this it's misogynistic and it's this and it's that and start, you know, quoting some, you know, philosophical take on it and all this kind of stuff. Shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear that. Like, okay, you didn't like the movie. It didn't resonate with you. Fine. I fucking hate Hereditary. I know I'm in the super minority of horror movie fans who thought Hereditary was Ari Aster's stinking piece of shit put on film. I know that that take... What a brilliant, what a, what a brilliant movie. Oh, I know. God. I'm going to watch Hereditary before I go to bed tonight, guys. I know that take is not popular, but I'm not going to yeah. sit here and try to defend that take by giving you a bunch of extra information. I'm just going to sit here and say, hey, you, you love that movie? You think that's a great film? That's good for you, man. I think it's a piece of shit. I think I think Hereditary is only a horror movie if you know you are like afraid of family social interaction. If you're not afraid of family social interactions, that movie's not going to resonate with you. <laughs> you know, sure, okay. People yeah. who grew up in toxic families, they're going to be able to connect with that. I didn't grow up in a toxic mm-hmm. family. So I think they all look like a bunch I, of babies. I grew up in a, I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't grow up in a toxic family. I just. Um, I just appreciated the story. I just. I thought. Just thought it was a well done movie. That's all. Point. But whatever. But, you're a terrible person for not liking it. But you know whatever. But that's that's just to make my point. That that that's the thing. That's my take on that. You can have your take. You can say, hey, like like Brad, you like Halloween three is a piece of shit. <laughs> Right. But like you, you you don't necessarily like this. You like two, three, and four better than this one. Correct. That's right. fine. Absolutely. That's fine. You know? I hope but it, so. But that's the thing is you don't feel the need to tell me, well, you know, the first one, uh, you know. I tell you why. This, I tell you why. It doesn't. It doesn't have adult Jason. I was pretty that, yeah. forward with it. Like, that's, that, that's why. That's all you need yeah. to tell me. Like, yeah, I like it. I recognize, it's a, I, I, I recognize it's a good movie. I recognize how people think it's even the best in the franchise. Sure. I just, when I want to watch a Friday the 13th movie, I want to watch Jason. Yeah. It's just not for me. Just is what it is. But yeah, the 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 critics and the people you see online who get into all these like get you know are in the documentaries and they get all up their ass as to why you know this movie or that movie uh, triggers them on some some level you know mm-hmm. to to hate on it. It's like you know I don't care. Like okay, you don't like the movie. Tell me you don't like the movie. Move on. Let me talk to somebody who does because I want right. to. I want to. I want to talk to that person and and hang out with that person. Right. I'd like you to move right. out of the way now. You you said you've said you don't like it. I've heard you. I acknowledge the fact that you don't like it and you have your reasons. Now I want you to go over there so I can talk to this guy. All right, all right. Because <laughs> we're gonna sit all night and talk about why it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you consider this one a great movie? I think. When compared to some other horror movies that came out uh, relative to the same time period, I think it's mid-level. I think mm. that, if, if I'm being honest, I, I like it better than some of the other Friday the 13ths, but I think overall as a horror film, it's mid-level. I mm. think the only reason it, it's it's brought up to a certain level is because of 
Betsy Palmer's performance, Tom Savini's performance, mm-hmm. and the the direction. Sean Cunningham does, uh, you you know, it's not like uh, some movies you watch where it looks like the director doesn't know what he's doing. Sean Cunningham yeah. knows what he's doing. He can build tension, yeah, he, he can set up shots, yep. and, mm-hmm. and the whole bit. But as far as the overall, the production values, the the overall kind of intensity of the story, you know, you can you can see the budget in this film. No, you can't see the budget. You yeah. can see the budget. It, it was sure. like a, like a five hundred thousand dollar budget or five fifty yeah. or something like that, and you can see it, you know. Mm-hmm. But the I do believe when I watch it that the thing that kind of does lift it up, like right now the fight scene between Alice and Pamela Voorhees is on. And that's Betsy Palmer. She's like... That's both of them. That's both of them. Yeah, there's no stunt person in this. No, they're both... They're they're doing the fight. They're doing what would be like stage combat, right? That would be like Betsy Mm -hmm. Palmer, you know, probably would have had some training in that. Tom Savini was an expert at stage combat. And that's what you're seeing there, and you're seeing oh, there the there the knuckles. Yeah, the knuckles. The hairy, I'm sorry, Tom Savini's hairy... assistant with the hairy knuckles comes up grabbing yep. at the neck. But yep. um, but you're seeing a oh what is it, what is she maybe fifties late fifties she's not sixty I, I would say somewhere yet. around there I no I don't think she's sixty you're seeing a fifty some year old woman. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. is doing a rough and tumble fight scene. And she's getting paid just to get a car. Like, she doesn't really like the movie. Doesn't really necessarily... This wouldn't be the movie she would choose to be in. But she needs yeah. a car. Needs the paycheck. But yet she shows up and fucking goes 110%. Yes, she does. Exactly. And that yes. makes the movie for me. Right. <laughs> Which is the exact opposite of what Monica Keena did in Freddy vs. Jason. Right. It's it's horrible when you see a big budget horror film with mm-hmm. people who are sleepwalking through it. Well, because she also only did it for a paycheck. And and so, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's why she's so bad in it. But, you know, what, same thing here. You know, Betsy Palmer is just doing it for a paycheck. But like you said, the difference is between really really good actors and not really good actors she gave it 110 percent. yeah yeah she 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 thought the movie was going to be dead on arrival she thought it was going to fail at the theater um but she still was like i'm not going to have anybody say that betsy palmer showed up and didn't perform Mm -hmm. and so she was in it and oh yeah we're gonna the first time they rehearsed the scene she really slapped Adrian King and made her cry right. because she thought yeah. she's working like from a stage mentality where you really hit the person. Yeah. And they had to explain to her, this was like the first film she had done in quite a while. And they were like, no, 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 you can't do that now. Cause like, you know, yeah. uh, there's, there's the, uh, the, the, um, <laughs> you, you got all the unions and stuff that are like, right, yeah. the actors New union rules. would get really upset. You know? Right. The, the yep. uh, Screen Actors Guild. Um, so it's like she really hauled off and slapped her, you know. But then that yeah. p- that puts, even though that's like kind of a mistake on her part, though, things like that with really good actors, it then puts everybody in the mindset of now Adrian King is really afraid of her. 
And right. now that fight at the end has a little more intensity because right. Adrian King is like, she might really fucking hurt me. So Betsy Palmer claims it was an accident. I'm maybe not so sure. She, she knew what she was doing. <laughs> I think yep. she was setting a tone for the scene. That's right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, wait, it, till, wait till you see, see it up on screen. Yeah. That's what she had in mind. She's like, you, you yell at me now. Yeah, but wait till you see it yeah. up on screen. When when I'm pounding her head into the sand, yeah. she's yeah, gonna look dude. really fucking scared, and I'm gonna look like yeah. I'm really fucking her up. <laughs> yep. Remember that was me. <laughs> so yeah, so I I think it's mid level overall, but it it stands out for me because of those factors. You got you know the Tom Savini, you got the score, the the iconic score. You got Betsy Palmer. It has these little elements that help to bring it up a notch where it might have otherwise gotten kind of lost in the shuffle. I actually kind of think if uh, Sean Cunningham didn't have those elements in place, mm-hmm. I don't know that the movie performs as well. Yeah. You know, I think it could yeah. have just been a blip and then gone and then we don't get Hockey Mask Jason. Right. So. Right. Yeah. That, that's kind of how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. That's that's how yeah. I that's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but still this movie spawned probably this is I, I think this is my I have to say this is my second favorite franchise um in horror. Um I obviously Halloween is is my bag, our bag. Oh, I know, thought you were gonna but... sell, say Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. We don't are we gonna do Hellraiser. We have to just so that I think you because just like I eventually will need to explain to the audience why I hate Hereditary, I think yeah. you'll need to explain to the audience why you have never been interested in any way, shape, or form in any of the no. Hellraiser <laughs> films. No, I um, <laughs> I've seen I've seen the first Hellraiser twenty times. You know, so and it I, keeps I've getting seen better every <laughs> single time I see it. <laughs> keeps getting funnier um yeah so um but the rest of them i just i don't know i don't like the overall concept i think i mean i think the overall concept is kind of scary but um i didn't necessarily like the actors in it um i didn't like the the we'll, we'll feel get of it, the we'll movie we'll get into it we'll get into it oh, <laughs> oh yeah no i don't want to say do, do you want to just start recording let's just do hellraiser right now yeah, yeah. I do think that the first Hellraiser is the best of the franchise, you know. But because I I've watched them, like I I but I just I never went back and watched them. Like Friday Thirteenth is on in the background. Like when I come home from work, you know, and I'm feeding my rabbit, and I turn TV on, I'll throw Friday Thirteenth on, I'll throw Nightmare on Elm Street Four on. You know, like these are like the background stuff while you're cooking dinner and everything, yeah. and you come back and you you hang out, and I just maybe sit and you know smoke a joint, watch Friday Thirteenth Part Three <laughs> or something like that. But that's you know, but that's how I feel about the franchise. I watch, I've I've seen these movies, I don't even know how many times. Yeah. At this point, uh, and all of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously this is the one I watch probably the least. Um, this one in five uh and then um well actually no uh i would say nine 
I don't know. When was the last time you saw Jason Goes to Hell? It's been a while. It's, it's been... been a long time because that movie was terrible. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. That was dumb. Oh, it made no sense. I didn't... We don't have to get into that one either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much, I think, I think we've said everything we need to say about it. It's, um, it is... It is a good film. It's a it's a good start to the franchise. The franchise eventually takes off, and we get the uh, the walking uh, juggernaut that uh, we now know as Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, I'm I'm glad we covered. It. I wanted to cover it. I wanted to get one of the the '80s classics in there before um, on the next episode. We're gonna finally finally get to innocent blood and uh get that out of the fucking way i didn't do all that research for nothing i didn't rent the movie for nothing (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then um i think our plan was then after innocent blood we want to talk about texas chainsaw massacre yes please yes please which i just recently found out even though i didn't watch the golden globes because i think most industry award shows are shit I did see a. <laughs> they red, are a They're cli- terrible. I know it's all just Jesus. a bunch of people. Why just, do they even air these things anymore? Who it's just a bunch them? of people greasing each other's genitals. It's just, just a bunch of fucking millionaires <laughs> going up and getting gold statues while people are fucking home, <laughs> just struggling to put food on the fucking Eat, table. Yeah, eating mac and cheese with go, cut up hot dogs like, in it. Yeah, go fuck yourselves. Like you know, whatever. That's why I loved when Ricky Gervais got up there and he was like, "When you come up." And get your award tonight don't give a little fucking speech about you know he's like you yeah. have no idea what your issues what it's like to live in a real world yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> oh god but anyway uh, i did see a great um uh, clip of a red carpet interview with paul giamatti and paul giamatti the 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 per it was from like the guy was from fucking entertainment tonight or one of the yeah it's just whatever current dude in a suit that they put up in front of the camera to ask dumbass questions right yeah. and he's got Paul <laughs> Giamatti there and he asked Paul Giamatti what's your favorite like genre you know you've been in all these different films and the current film he's the holdovers I think he was up for and he's like what's your favorite genre of film and without a beat paul giamatti goes horror oh yeah horror he's like he's like i love horror movies he's like that's really he's like that's and he's like oh would you like to do he's like yeah i'd like to do more horror like if i could he goes oh man paul giamatti and harm yeah and he he goes what's your favorite horror movie he goes oh texas chainsaw massacre he goes yeah that's the best that's great He goes, that's a great film. Thank you. <laughs> he goes, I don't know that I'd ever get to be in like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, but I would like to do more horror. Do you think he <laughs> like it, liked it uh, so much that he would put it in his top 20 list of horror movies? I think it was his first. That was his Ooh, first. It was his favorite. It was his favorite. But yet you <laughs> didn't have it anywhere <laughs> on your list. It's not in my... Uh... Not in my milieu. <laughs> no, it wasn't even in your honorable mentions. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was, yeah. Somehow. Uh, you know, Paul Giamatti is one of those actors that um, I haven't watched a lot of his work, you know, in the last however many years, because the stuff that he's been doing, I tend not to like that stuff. 
I'm not what, interested well, he in did it. Billion, like billions, like the show he did on. He Showtime. did that. He did um, when he was um, uh, John Adams. He had that whole John Adams thing. So I didn't right. watch that. And then now this new movie that he's in, The Holdovers. I don't have a lot of interest in that one either. That's where he's like a teacher at like a, a prep school or something. I got to be honest with you, Kyle. Unless it's horror movies, or <laughs> maybe like maybe like Star Wars. You know, a new Star Wars movie comes out. That's about it. That's a that's a, but and, yeah. and and but if like that's it. I yeah. said to I said to Jenny though, if Paul Giamatti just did horror movies for the rest of his career, I would watch every horror movie that Paul Giamatti was in. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. He's a great actor. I'd love to see him in something like this. I'd love to see more talent uh more talented uh people well i mean we talk about um the qualities some of these movies but like um damien leone getting a hold of something like friday the 13th or i want someone to come along and take these franchises you know in a cool direction you know i think there's i want like back in the i think there's back in the 90s right we well we talked about it before like um Quentin Tarantino almost wrote um, uh, Curse of Michael Myers, right? Yeah, he almost. Yeah, he right? almost. So there was a there was a thought. At least he gave gave it some thought. And there was a rumor uh, for years uh, before the remake, the 2009 remake, that Quentin Tarantino was going to do, you know, a Friday the 13th movie. There, or they actually approached him. I can't remember the story. Um, but someone like that, I want I want Jordan Peele to maybe take a stab at. A nightmare on Elm Street. You know, like yeah. I, I, I just wish they could get someone like that to 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 take these franchises and and breathe new life into them. Yeah, and I I think I think part of that is there's like I think a lot of these directors and actors that are out there, you know, because there's more horror movie fans out there than anybody I think thinks there are because. Horror movies have so much to offer. As kids, like as kids, some of the first movies that we watched that are like adult quote unquote movies, mm. as we're as we're getting older, getting into that preteen teenage, it's horror movies. Everybody mm. grows up watching horror movies. They're popular. They're very popular and they're always profitable. Right. And so I think that it's more of like kind of a goofy well, not dumb. Always. It's like a goofy, weird, dumb industry thing. There's like yeah. the studios that make horror movies. If they, if they, if it's not like some elevated, quote unquote, or if it's not something that they think is going to be some big, big box office draw, they kick it to one of their little subsidiary. It's like MGM. MGM. Uh, you can maybe count on two hands how many horror, straight up horror movies that just MGM quote unquote has made, but yeah. Lionsgate has made a shit ton of horror movies because they right, kick, right. they kick all the horror movies to Lionsgate, you right. know, or Legendary, you know, yeah. or one of those subsidiary studios, and it's yeah, you would like to see, um, you would like to see the the bigger names that are out there push like it'd be nice if paul giamatti could go to a studio and be like no i I want you to like if you want to work with me if we want to do something together or even you know uh like look at uh john krasinski john krasinski's got the quiet uh a quiet place the two movies Mm -hmm. 
And yep. it's like, yep. you know, uh, he's all super respected for some reason. I'm, I'm not sure how that works. Like, how does he... But <laughs> oh my goodness! No, no, no! Are I mean, like his on his Jim? his two horror movies get like this special place, and Jordan Peele's movies get this special place. But then, if somebody comes out with, you know, um, uh, a new Pet Cemetery or like you know something else, and it's good, they don't get any kind of you don't see shit about those. You know, it's like it, it's got to be some you have to be some special little favored child of the studio to oh to get your stuff promoted. Mm. I mean, is it yeah. true or is it not true? No, I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. I can hear the anger in your voice. <laughs> no, I just yeah, I, 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 I would just like to see um, someone that that. And, and they don't have to be; they tend to be the bigger di- directors, but the, the more just the more creative directors. That's all. I just want to see the like the Jordan Peels of the world or, or the Quentin Tarantinos of the world that are good filmmakers, that are really good filmmakers. Just say, yeah, like they. I know they watch these movies. We know we've talked about it before. You know, Quentin Tarantino watches watches I want these to see- movies. I want to see a Wes Anderson horror movie. No, no, God, no, please, God, no, 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 Wes Anderson, starring, please, God. Starring Bill Murray. No. Oh, my God, no. Oh. Oh. I can't do Wes Anderson movies anymore. Oh, my God. George Clooney doing some weird oh. accent. They're the worst. They're the worst. I know, and everybody loves. I don't. I don't. Am I? I want to. I want to see it. I want to see a horror sequel. What am I not seeing? To the fantastic Mister Fox called Fox Hunt. They're the most unfunny. Like, but right? They're supposed to be comedies, aren't they? Sort of. I think they are. I think they're supposed to be comedies. I think they're supposed to be quirky and everything, but like, man, like the Royal Tannenbaums, right? Yeah. The great cast in that. Like, you got Gene Hackman. Yeah, the the last one of his projects and I I, it was I liked the was The Life Aquatic. I, I, I enjoyed The Life Aquatic. I can't I can't do it. Like I, I and I've seen a number of them. I saw the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I saw Royal Tana Bombs, I saw Life Aquatic, I saw, you know, because I always watch them and, and I, I feel like I'm not getting it. <laughs> right? I feel like like everybody else you, gets you, West you, Anderson. You just don't get I don't. it. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't get it here. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but... <laughs> But anyway, no, um, but no, God, no, please not Wes Anderson, but like, you know, any, any of these, those guys, um, would be great. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens because, um, you know, the, the lawsuit, right. We talked about it before on previous episodes kind of been settled now. So now you're going to start to see projects coming, um, from Friday the 13th. 
you're going to start to see eventually, I think, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, down the road. So we'll see where the franchises go. Um, but I hope they learned a little bit from the mistake of the David Gordon Green trilogy, you know, that he, which he like, which he's now he been was, fired he was off one, of Exorcist. Exorcist. <laughs> he was kind of, you know, he went one for three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the first one was good, and then it just kind of lost it after that. Uh, Michael was good, right? So I'll watch him all the time because Michael was really good. Uh, James Jude Courtney did a great job. The mask was really great. So if we talked about it all the time, if they get the mask yeah. right, if they get Michael right, you'll watch it. Um, but I hope they learn that, you know, when they go to update these franchises and stuff like that, I don't know. Like he, he did like Pineapple Express, right? Like that was David Gordon Green, wasn't it? Yeah, because he started working out. Yeah, him and him with and, Con- yeah and Danny, Danny McBride. McBride. Yeah, right. Yeah. So i I hope they kind of learn from their mistake a little bit that maybe that wasn't the you know a great decision um, to 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 have him helm this thing. Um, I hope they go out and they they really truly get talented filmmakers like Wes Craven was a filmmaker you know John Carpenter these the Quentin that's why I'm saying you know some of these guys they they it's it's their movie it's every their their stamp is all over this thing so their their fingerprints are all over it and um you know I, I guess we'll see yeah well on that note uh thanks no, on for that note, no. <laughs> thanks for li- thanks for listening to our Friday the 13th episode we had been itching to get to this one um, and our rant on Wes Anderson. That's right. Please uh, tune in on our next one when we talk about Innocent Blood. And it's a new year. Uh, it's we're we're you know still thinking about constantly thinking about the movies that we could cover um, and what's coming next. Um, if you have any ideas for us, anything that you'd like to hear us rant and rave about, no matter how wrong we are. <laughs> Please uh, write to us at nosferadudes at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think, uh, what, what your favorite Friday the 13th film is um, and uh, why it is number nine and why you're wrong. And <laughs> oh, God. I hope no one writes that. So from me. And me. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, the broadcast is coming from inside the house. And it's got a death kiss. <laughs> You're all doomed. You're all doomed. Get out of my-